When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know? Super Mario Odyssey isn't the first 3D Mario game planned to have realistic proportioned humans. Real humans were planned to appear in Sunshine, which can be seen with a brown-haired girl from early footage of the game. Sunshine may have been planned to include multiplayer as well. The game has an unused camera function labeled SMSIS Multiplayer Map that zooms in and out to keep multiple characters in view. If this function is activated while both Mario and Shadow Mario are on screen, the camera will automatically zoom to keep both characters in sight. The Japanese version of the game also has files that mention an unused Isle Delfino train system. These files contain dialogue for buying tickets and getting them stamped, as well as a list of train stations on the island. Using the train also seemed like the primary method of accessing a level. Sunshine was even planned to have a form of currency known as Sol Coins, which could have been used to buy items and tickets for the scrap train system. Furthermore, the names of the several unused beta levels exist in the game's code, including the Warship Island, Fire Shrine, Hurdle Rock, and Hotel Okrima. And other assets suggest that Corona Mountain was intended to be a full level, but over time later scaled back. Interestingly, a file relating to Gelato Beach has an obscene name and goes by the title Sand Bomb Base Shit. Other folders contain lyrics from the songs I Want to Be Loved by You and Stand By Me as placeholder text. Super Mario Sunshine has at least three unused enemies. One foe uses the same animations as Strollins 2 and is named Dorokuri in the game's files. As this enemy can steal Mario's hat, its name is most likely a reference to the Japanese word Dorobo, which means thief. There's also another, much larger stew named Hinokuri 2 that seems to be an unused boss. When put into the game via hacking, it'll spawn other stews while walking around. In order to defeat Hinokuri 2, the player has to spray water into the body to destroy its shell before stomping on its exposed eye. A 2D drawing of a Goomba named Kug is listed as a test enemy in the game's data. Kug actually exists in the game itself, located under Pinna Park. That said, it was never intended to be seen, but can be viewable by glitching the camera through the ground. Every area in the game has an image file that determines the distribution of goop within that level. For levels that don't contain any goop, the developers filled the unused images with notes and doodles, including a sketch of Kug. Several of the game's areas also have unused music. When Mario rides Yoshi, drums will be played to the beat of the song. Since Yoshi is absent from Noki Bay, the casino mission of Hotel Delfino, or any other secret courses, the Yoshi arrangements go unused. Another unused idea was having Flood use a gun-like nozzle for shooting enemies. The team cut this early on, fearing that the gun-like item would receive backlash in the United States. Super Mario Sunshine features full English voice acting in all versions of the game. Outside of English-speaking countries, the game can only be understood through subtitles in the local language. Surprisingly, the Japanese version of Sunshine features even more English in the game's Western release. When Mario and company arrive at Isle Delfino in the initial cutscene, Mario and Toadsworth have a brief conversation in the background. I am- Imagine you'll be spending a fair amount of time at the princess's side. Hmm, 
Lookalika Mario's gonna have to find a job. This dialogue was removed from the international release for unknown reasons. The Japanese version of the courtroom scene also uses an alternate recording. In this alternate take, one of the voice actors mispronounces the word shine as shrine. The in-game signposts in the Japanese version even display messages written in English. The text itself is just fragments of a dictionary sample sentence, and was replaced with generic symbols in other versions of the game. International versions of Super Mario Sunshine have several changes to the game's difficulty. One example can be found in the sixth episode of Serena Beach. The Japanese version requires players to clean 99% of the gloop in order to complete the mission, while only 95% needs to be cleaned in the Western version. In Europe, there are even more changes to the game's difficulty. The Ferris wheel and Pinna Park and the wind Mill and Bianco Hills both move slower in other versions. In the Japanese version of the game, the Piantas and Noki both take their names from Italian words. The Noki are called Mare, which means sea, and Piantas are called Monte, which means mountain. This makes sense as Piantas are shaped like mountains and the Noki are covered in seashells. These two races seem to represent the land and sea, two equally defining traits of an island. Although most references to the word Monte were removed from the English game, the game's localizers overlooked one asset. The label on the game's water bottle still reads Monte Drink instead of Pianta Drink. During the game's cutscene when Mario meets Flood, an informational display pops up and shows several past Mario games, along with a block of text. A closer examination of this text reveals that it's a list of titles in the Mario series written backwards. However, the titles Super Mario Kart and Mario Kart 64 have both misspelled the word cart. Though these details are obscure, some of the game's secrets are completely hidden. One concealed secret is that racer Piantissimo has a familiar face under his mask. Removing the mask from the character's model shows that he greatly resembles the Running Man from Ocarina of Time and the Postman from Majora's Mask. Similarly, examining the model for the Ely Mouth reveals that his throat and stomach are fully modeled with a notable amount of detail, despite never being shown in-game. In 2009, a scientific study by Sage Publications showed a link between playing Super Mario Sunshine and helpful behavior in people. In the experiment, participants were asked to play one of three types of video games, violent video games, neutral games, or games that researchers deemed pro-social, which included Super Mario Sunshine and Chibi-Robo. Afterward, the participants were asked to give their assigned partner a series of puzzles to complete. The participants had a variety of puzzles to choose from, ranging from easy to hard, and were told their partners would receive a prize should they succeed. Researchers found that participants who played pro-social games were much more likely to give their partners easy puzzles. The scientists concluded that the results indicate games like Super Mario Sunshine can inspire people to be more helpful to others. Did you know? During the lifespan of the Super Famicom's Satellaview add-on, Nintendo experimented with publishing digital magazines. This was done with an officially licensed Mario Virtual Magazine, called Shitamache Ninjoga Kijo, which translates as Lower City Empathy Theatre in English. What's most surprising about the magazine are the adult jokes and illustrations within it. The images within depict Mario smoking a cigarette, Mario committing physical assault, and even showing a lewd act between Peach and Toad. The actual data for the magazine is currently lost, but a total of six issues are known to exist. However, only segments of the sixth episode have been found so far. Another Satellaview title, BS Super Mario Collection, has some interesting facts surrounding it. The collection was a remixed version of Super Mario All-Stars for the Satellaview that was released in four parts and was broadcast over four weeks. 
During the broadcast, music would be played as well as voice acting from celebrities who would give helpful hints and advice. During one Mario Collection broadcast, Nintendo played Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley over the game, as well as Never Ending Story by Lamal and Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> There's another rare title that was also exclusive to Japan called Boo Boo Mario. The game is aimed at younger children and is an arcade and ride hybrid released in 1993 exclusively in Japan. The game plays out in two phases, one where the player steers left and right to avoid rocks and jumps over fissures in the ground. This is followed by another phase where the player has to jump on Mecha Koopas that are being thrown by Bowser. Boo Boo Mario may be hard to find, but some games are even more obscure, due in part to them never being released. Yoshi Racing is a rejected pitch for a 3D character racing game in the Yoshi franchise. The game was revealed in a Eurogamer article that delved into Argonaut Games and the development of Star Fox on the Super Nintendo. Originally, the game was described as a 3D platformer and left unnamed. However, an ex-Argonaut employee would later name the project and describe it as a 3D racing game. This game seems to be the same project that later evolved into Croc, but before the project became more of a 3D platformer. The Mario series has plenty of secrets in its less obscure games as well. 2015's Super Mario Bros. Encyclopedia explains one quirk about Super Mario Sunshine that many fans have wondered about for years. The Yoshis in the game are destroyed when they come into contact with water, similar to the game's enemies. This is actually because all Yoshis in the game are from the magic paintbrush wielded by Bowser Jr., just like the enemies. Another detail about Sunshine that often goes unnoticed is hidden in plain sight near the start of the game. During Sunshine's opening cutscene, multiple cuts of Peach on the airstrips seem to have an error where the texture for her earring uses the texture for her eyes. This mistake is fixed from her first close-up onward, but it's strange how this mistake managed to happen at all. In Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, Rabbid Princess Peach originally had an animation inspired by Sailor Moon. While the sequence was cut from the game, director Davide Soliani jokingly stated that the test sequence was made by animators who started to go stir-crazy crazy from working so hard. Another obscure reference can be found in a 30 minute long Japan only VHS tape made to promote Mario Paint on the SNES. At one point in the video, the footage shows what seems to be a crude drawing of a nude woman made with the game's brush tools. This is actually a recreation of the painting New Rose by French artist Henri Matisse. In an interview promoting Super Nintendo Classic Edition, artist Shigafumi Hino confirmed that Mario is hitting Yoshi to make him spit out his tongue in Mario World. Hino said, Actually, we did the animation with the idea that Mario was hitting Yoshi on the head and Yoshi is sticking out his tongue in surprise. There's even a bonk sound. But we thought people would feel sorry for Yoshi, so we decided to pass it off as Mario saying, Go! The book, The Art of Super Mario Odyssey, reveals that Rosalina was going to appear in the game as a non-playable character at some point. The book also reveals several unused outfits for Mario, such as a green Sprixie princess from Super Mario 3D World, a Toadette costume, a costume of a Luma from Super Mario Galaxy, and a costume of Mario in a Japanese schoolgirl outfit. Another game that showed Mario in a unique outfit is Sega's Alex Kidd in Shinobi World, or at least the game's beta build did. During the development of Shinobi World, the first boss, Kabuto, was planned to be a parody of Mario. He would have had a moustache, and his name was Mari-O, a play on words that actually means King Mari. 
This reference was dropped in the final release due to the possible copyright concerns. The secret still remains in some form, however, as Kabuto shoots fireballs and shrinks when the player has inflicted enough damage to him, just like Mario. One interesting detail about Mario Party 9 doesn't appear within the game, but on its cover. Luigi is absent from the Japanese box art of Mario Party 9, and was even missing from the pre-release North American box as well. Fans seem to have noticed this, and were disappointed that Nintendo left Luigi out of the spotlight. Perhaps due to the small outcry from fans, Luigi was added to the North American cover before the game's Western release. Another oversight that took Nintendo far longer to notice is from Super Mario World. In the game, Bowser's skin is green, and not his usual orange tone. This wasn't an aesthetic choice, however, this was actually a mistake. Super Mario World artist Shigafumi Hino didn't notice the error until Nintendo were importing the game's art assets into Super Mario Maker around 25 years after the game's release. Other Mario enemies have secrets too. In Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, when tattling up a bomb named Fred in Far Outpost, Gumbella says, that Fred, he's not very freaky for a Fred though. What? Not all Freds are freaky. News to me. This is a possible reference to the character Freaky Fred from Cartoon Network's Courage the Cowardly Dog. It's also absolutely impossible to lose the first battle against Lord Crump in Thousand Year Door. Even if Mario falls into the water until he only has 1 HP, the game will start the battle with 5 HP. Mario's only option are to attack or defend, and he'll defend perfectly every time. Since Crump and Mario both have 5 HP and Mario takes the first turn, Crump cannot win. Mario enemies also have interesting facts around them even in the series' earliest games. In Super Mario Bros. 3, if a muncher is hit with Raccoon Mario's tail attack, it will turn him into a block. This trick was carried over to the All-Stars version of the game on the SNES, but not Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Bros. 3 on the Game Boy Advance. The long-running Mario enemy, Lakitu, is called Jugemu in Japan. This name comes from a folktale where a couple couldn't think of a good name for their newborn baby boy. In the tale, the father consulted the chief priest in the area to think of a name. The priest had a few suggestions, but also couldn't decide on a single name. They ended up mixing up all the names together into one big name, which is shown on the screen right now. Another interesting enemy secret is that the tanuki-tailed Bowser in Super Mario 3D Land is actually a Goomba using a Super Leaf. This was done as an homage to the original Super Mario Bros. game, where all the Bowsers before the final castle were enemies disguised as Bowser. Earlier portable Mario titles have Easter eggs too. In Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, the first Space Zone level features stars that spell out happy. However, most of these stars cannot be seen during normal gameplay, with the player only being able to see the letter Y by jumping up and to the left of the second money bag. The word can only be seen in its entirety with the aid of hacking, or a cheat device. Many people cite Mario Teaches Typing as the first game where Charles Martinet provided the voice of Mario. However, one Nintendo game predates even this. The Super Mario Bros. Pinball Arcade Machine featured samples of Martinet as Mario, and released several months before Mario Teaches Typing. 
During Super Mario Bros. 30th anniversary at the Nintendo Store in New York City, original Super Mario Bros. planning sheets were put on display. One of these sheets happened to show an early version of the game's title screen, which featured a different logo and a fence on the right of the screen. Another interesting fact is that the first track on the officially licensed Mario album, Sound Mario Bros., is titled Super Mario Bros. Odyssey. This was over 30 years before the release of Super Mario Odyssey. Unfortunately, the track itself is more reminiscent of Star Wars than it is of Mario. Speaking of movies, six months after the US release of Super Paper Mario, film director and producer Seth Gordon showed an interest in making a movie based on the game. The Pixels movie producer was quoted as saying, I'd love, really love to adapt Super Paper Mario into a movie. A movie that could constantly switch from 2D to 3D. In five years, 3D cinema is going to be really big. Gordon, however, specified that he'd never had the chance to speak with Nintendo about his envisioned project, so his idea was eventually forgotten. Did you know? If it weren't for the restraints of the Super Nintendo, Super Mario Kart may never have been made. Concepts for Super Mario Kart began in fall 1990 and came from a team of only eight people. Nintendo veteran Shigeru Miyamoto supplied the original concept for the game, which was the idea to make a sequel to F-Zero. He envisioned the game as F-Zero for two players, since the original game was a single-player experience. However, this was deemed impossible as F-Zero's long and straight racetracks and blindingly fast gameplay would be hard to pull off with two players on the Super Nintendo. They instead opted for a track design that was much shorter and more compact with a lot of twists and turns. According to the team, the only vehicle that made sense to traverse these courses were carts, as they moved a lot slower than what was seen in F-Zero. When it came to the game's roster, the team originally used generic overall-wearing men for racers. Though they had different color schemes, it wasn't very clear who was driving from their perspective. Roughly four months into the project, Nintendo decided on using more recognizable characters and took Mario for a test drive. Afterwards, the roster was quickly decided on. Following Mario, the team added Luigi and other characters who were recognizable from behind, such as Peach, Yoshi, and Bowser. Koopa Troopa was said to have been chosen last, as the team wasn't really sure what to do with him and decided to throw him in. Donkey Kong Jr. was picked over Donkey Kong due to the Donkey Kong Jr. game having its 10th anniversary the same year Super Mario Kart released. The fact that he wore a shirt also made him easier to draw. During the time the game had an undefined roster, the overall men would throw cans of oil as weapons, as the team found it appropriate for the characters. When the Mario roster was introduced, they thought about items that suited that universe, citing the Koopa shells as a great way to have something to shoot at and hone in on opponents. Banana peels came about for several reasons, serving the same purpose as the oil cans and complementing Donkey Kong Jr. due to his love for bananas. The lightning was made in the final stages of development, with the team wanting an item as a sudden upset to the flow of a race. The team were very dedicated to nailing the genuine feel of kart racing and followed up with several experiments. Although we've previously mentioned how staff went go-karting for research, they also went a step further by making their own remote-controlled kart from the ground up with a working engine. When the main programmer was given a chance to test the kart's drifting capabilities, he crashed into a wall and completely totaled the kart within five seconds. Oh. 
after the release of Mario Kart 64, series director Hideki Kono stepped away from the franchise for nearly a decade, being absent for Super Circuit and Double Dash. He'd been busy working on other titles like Luigi's Mansion and Wind Waker, and when he made his return to the series with Mario Kart DS, things only got busier for him. At the same time, Kono was serving as a producer for Nintendogs and was constantly juggling between the two, marking the first time he ever dealt with this kind of challenge. There were a number of ideas he had for the game that didn't make it into the final product, but one idea that didn't cross his mind at first was online functionality. Mario Kart DS was the first Nintendo game to support the now-defunct Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, but it wasn't implemented until six months out from the game's release. The team had focused on making the game work with eight human players via wireless connection, and when that proved to work out well, they decided to take it online. Though Kono had been frustrated about having to scrap ideas, he was able to bring a lot of his concepts into Mario Kart Wii, alongside what he learned from Mario Kart DS. Mario Kart 7 was the first game in the series to be developed internationally. Mario Kart 64 received outside help from British studio Rare, who supplied Donkey Kong's model, but the Texas-based Retro Studios assisted in actual development of Mario Kart 7. Mario Kart 7 appropriately started out with a team of just seven, but when the team were ready to get into full development, several other games were in production. This left the team at Nintendo EAD short on team members. Kono asked his colleagues about any studios that might be able to help them out. They then chose to work with Retro, as they'd just finished production on Donkey Kong Country Returns and were available. Team members from both sides couldn't believe a collaboration like this was happening, as all previous Mario Kart games were done in-house. Some EAD members were concerned about clashing cultures and miscommunication. However, Nintendo had complete faith in Retro as they proved they understood what the company strived for in their games, and the teams got to work in December 2010. Responsibilities of designing the tracks were split between the two companies. Nintendo EAD handled all the courses that were new to the game, whereas Retro worked on the classic tracks. These already had an outline in place, and Retro could simply add in new elements and features so it wouldn't be overly familiar to fans. They also found this to be a great way to design tracks, and an interesting way to develop for hardware they previously hadn't touched before. The team also pitched ideas for new courses, some of which actually appeared in the final game, and had some series veterans wondering how they never came up with them before. In the Mario Kart 7 edition of Iwata Asks, concept art was shown for some ideas Retro had pitched. Among them is art for Shy Guy Bazaar, Rosalina's Ice World, Neo Bowser City, and DK Jungle. The same core team for Mario Kart 7 would return to develop Mario Kart 8. In an interview with Nintendo Life on the Wii U release of the game, director Kosuke Yabuki was asked about the game's roster, and if the team had thought about adding characters from other Nintendo series, a la Super Smash Bros. While he said the roster wasn't the most important feature of the game, he wouldn't rule out the possibility. And sure enough, characters like Link and Isabelle would make their Mario Kart debut via DLC. And with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on Switch, so would the Inklings from Splatoon. Yubuki had also been asked if the Mario Kart team had ever considered getting rid of the blue shell item, a common source of anger for players. Yubuki said the team has tried to see what Mario Kart would be like without it several times, but they felt something was missing without its inclusion. In Yubuki's own words, you know, sometimes life isn't fair. And that's frustrating. I think things are more interesting like that with the blue shells of life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Similar to the devotion to Super Mario Kart, Mario Kart Wii went for a sense of realism with its controls, leading to the Wii wheel accessory. During development, Kono had the idea of creating a steering wheel, as its function is commonly understood by people of all ages. Kono presented a prototype he made to the team, and they loved it. The wheel went through over 30 prototypes before its final design, as the team tried to make a controller as durable and comfortable as possible. The blue ring was added on the back to make it seem more fun and inviting to those watching people play, and it would later be added to the lower logo for Mario Kart Wii itself. Mario Kart Wii is undoubtedly the best-selling game in the series and continues to make a profit even over 10 years since its original release. In October 2018, Nintendo's financial results showed the game had sold roughly 40,000 copies during the previous quarter, bringing the game's lifetime sales to 37.14 million. Mario Kart isn't all success, however. Mario Kart was planned to have an installment on the Virtual Boy console under the tentative title VB Mario Kart. The only known report of the game was in German gaming magazine Big N in their August 2000 issue, listed alongside other Virtual Boy games that would be cancelled. Mario Kart once had a spin-off of sorts in the works, being spearheaded by game designer Yute Saito, the man behind such games as Odama and Seaman. Saito, being a close friend of Miyamoto and Iwata, shared an idea with them during a friendly meeting in the early 2000s. Inspired by his recent delve into sculpting chunks of metal, Saito pitched the idea of a game about making car engines, and though it sounded a bit strange, Miyamoto and Iwata were willing to give him a shot. The game was being made for Nintendo DS hardware and went under the name Mario Motors. Players would sculpt metal into a cylinder, with that cylinder determining the effectiveness of the engine. The game didn't get far into development, and when asked about its cancellation, Saito remained vague. Another Mario Kart project that didn't come to fruition was revealed by engineer and technology entrepreneur Elon Musk. Musk claimed that Tesla attempted to add Mario Kart as a playable game in its line of cars. Models such as the Tesla S have a high-quality 17-inch screen, which would serve quite well as gaming displays. However, this idea was rejected by Nintendo. This information comes from Twitter, where a user asked Musk, how about a version of Mario Kart where you can play against random people who are also charging their car at the moment? Where Musk replied, we tried. Nintendo won't license it to us. Variety.com speculated that Nintendo rejected Tesla's offer because Nintendo might be worried about the safety aspects of having Mario Kart playable in an actual vehicle and the legal issues that could have come with it. Speaking of legal issues, the series has also been the subject of some rather interesting lawsuits. In February of 2017, Nintendo took legal action against a Japanese company called Marikar, an obvious abbreviation of the Mario Kart name. The service allowed customers to dress up as their favorite Mario character and drive through Tokyo in a go-kart, to which Nintendo took legal action against. This legal battle lasted for over a year, but in October 2018, Nintendo won the case. Marikar was required to stop using Nintendo's likeness, as well as having to pay 10 million yen to Nintendo in damages, roughly 88,000 US dollars. Even after losing the battle, the service wasn't about to be taken down so easily. Weeks later, the company changed their name to Mari Mobility and made the decision to keep the Nintendo-themed costumes as part of their gimmick, all the while trying to appeal the decision against them. Later in January 2019, Mari Mobility had the Japanese
Japanese company Chizai Boe Kabushiki Gaisha file two trademarks on their behalf. The phrases trademarked were Nintendo is irrelevant and unrelated to Nintendo in Japanese and English respectively. Currently, the phrases are still being displayed on the Mari Mobility go-karts as the business is still in operation nearly two years later. Did you know? Early on in Mario 3's development, the game was planned to use a top-down perspective. Co-director Takashi Tezuka wanted to change the viewing angle as an experiment, but this also altered how vertical depth was perceived in the game. The angle was changed back to a side view during development, but relics of the top-down period can still be found in the game. The checkered floor at the game's title screen is one example given by Nintendo's developers. Super Mario Bros. 3 was developed by around 20 to 30 people, only 11 of which were credited. During Mario 3's development, the team drew inspiration from some unusual sources. Chain chomps were inspired by an incident from director Shigeru Miyamoto's youth, where a neighbor's dog chased after him until it was yanked back by its chain. Tezuka also had an idea to create an enemy based on his wife, who was normally a very quiet woman until she exploded in a fit of anger over how much time he would spend at work. This idea ultimately led to the creation of the booze. Many other concepts were ultimately cut or altered during development, however. While brainstorming new power-ups for the game, the designers considered adding a suit that would turn Mario into to a centaur, but they scrapped it in favor of the tanuki suit. Another change is that at one point during development, Mario was planned to face the direction he walked in at the map screen. This is a feature that wouldn't be implemented until the release of Super Mario World. Mario 3 also has leftover data for additional types of bonus games. The game contains several different variations on a dice rolling game, with win conditions based on rolling either an even or odd number, and there are also sprites for a Hammer Brother and Koopa Troopa as hosts. Super Mario Bros. 3 was released in October of 19. 88 in Japan, but due to a shortage of ROM chips at the time, the game's international release ended up being delayed for 16 months. When Super Mario Bros. 3 finally reached western shores, it came with a large number of changes. Arguably the most prominent change was how Mario reacts to taking damage. In the Japanese release, getting hit by an enemy while under the effects of any power-up would cause Mario to revert back to his smallest form. This was altered in the American release, so that getting hit while Mario had any power-up higher than a Super Mushroom would only revert him back to his Super state. There were also different visual effects for losing power-ups. In the Japanese version, the suit would visibly fly off Mario's body, while in other regions it would simply disappear in a puff of smoke. The Japanese version even included a fade-in at the beginning of each level that was removed from the international release, which speeds up the game by about a second. There's also a small new game plus element not present in the Japanese version. Returning to the title screen and starting a new game after the end credits gives the player a full inventory of P-Wings. The European version of Mario 3 also included an interesting mistake. At the end of the letter which informs Mario that Peach was kidnapped, Bowser's name was changed to Koopa Troopa. In 1990, programmer John Carmack and designer Tom Hall of Softdisk created a demo of the Super Mario Bros. 3 on PC. The demo showcased the first level of the game and replaced Mario with Dangerous Dave, a character created by their co-worker John Romero. Computers at the time were unable to effectively scroll the screen horizontally, so Mario-style platformers simply couldn't work on PC. However, However, Carmack invented a technique known as adaptive tile refresh, which made rapid side-scrolling possible on early PCs. When Romero found the demo, titled Dangerous Dave in Copyright Infringement, he quickly realized the potential applications of Carmack's breakthrough, and the team began working on a full PC port of Mario Bros. 3. The developers felt so confident about the project that they sent their demo to Nintendo, alongside a proposal to release an official PC port of Mario 3. Nintendo turned down their offer, however, saying they had no interest in expanding to a PC 
market. Nevertheless, the attention the team attracted during this time led them to forming id Software, who would go on to release games such as Wolfenstein, Quake, and Doom. Super Mario Bros. 3 was eventually ported to the Game Boy Advance as part of the Super Mario Advance series. This version took advantage of the handheld's features and included 30 additional levels available via the e-reader peripheral. In order to unlock the levels, players would need a copy of the game, an e-reader, the corresponding card for the level they wanted to play, two GBA systems, and a link cable. The e-reader was never released in Europe, and the only 10 level cards were released in North America before the e-reader was discontinued due to low popularity. This meant 20 levels were completely inaccessible in the international version of Mario 3. When the GBA version of Mario 3 was re-released on the Wii U Virtual Console, all of the e-reader levels were included by default. There are a number of odd secrets and tricks hidden within Super Mario Bros. 3. If Boom Boom is defeated while Mario has a Starman, the question mark ball will spawn upside down. Defeating a Koopaling while wearing a frog suit, Tanuki suit, or hammer suit will cause the King's dialogue in the following cutscene to change. If the player can manage to jump into a Karibo's shoe while in Tanuki Mario's statue form, Mario will become completely invincible. However, he'll be unable to go through warp pipes. If the player hits a muncher with Raccoon Mario's tail, it'll turn into a block. This trick was removed in the Super Mario Advance port, however. Activating a P-Switch underwater will turn in each Electros into silver coins, though they'll still hurt Mario if the player tries to collect them. While working on the game, designer Hideki Kono struggled with the mechanics of the Micro Goombas, tiny enemies who would cling to Mario and drag him down when he jumped. Kono tried to make it work by increasing Mario's weight, but the result didn't feel quite right and was rejected. Miyamoto ultimately solved the problem by suggesting they simply place an invisible block above Mario's head, which you would bump into when he tried to jump. Super Mario Bros. 3 also holds the distinction of being the final game where Miyamoto was credited as a designer rather than just producer or director. For years, fans theorized that Super Mario Bros. 3 was simply a stage play, as evidenced by the raising curtain at the beginning of the game, objects appearing to be set pieces, and how Mario seems to exit stage right at the end of each level. In a video on Mario Myths released to promote Super Mario Maker, Miyamoto himself confirmed this theory was true. Did you know? Paper Mario was originally unveiled as Super Mario RPG 2 at Nintendo's Space World 97 event. Super Mario RPG 2 was being developed by Intelligent Systems, but the game's prequel, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, was developed by Square. It's thought that complications with Square is what led to Super Mario RPG 2 being renamed. Since Square developed Mario RPG, it's likely they had some ownership of names, assets, designs, and ideas they contributed to the game. That said, Nintendo might not have planned to call the game Super Mario RPG 2 outside of Japan anyway. Reports from English-speaking publications in 1998 specifically referred to the game as Super Mario Adventure. The game was eventually renamed internationally to Paper Mario, and was renamed Mario Story in Japan. The name Mario Story may have been chosen to align the game more with Yoshi's Story, which had a similar art direction. Super Mario RPG 2 might not have been the game's original title either. The initial idea for Paper Mario's art style came from an image made by artist Naohiko Aoyama, which was labeled Mario RPG 64. Intelligent Systems was struggling to create a game that would match the quality of the Nintendo 64's flagship Mario game, Super Mario 64. This was partly because Nintendo wanted to come up with something that looked and felt completely different from the main Mario series. 
Intelligence Systems Project Manager Kenji Nakajima said in an Iwata Asks interview that coming up with Paper Mario was indeed a challenge. After it was decided that Intelligence Systems would make a second Super Mario RPG, we ran into trouble deciding how it should look in order to bring out a different theme than in the main series. We couldn't determine the route to take with visuals. At first, we broke into teams and worked in parallel on making about three sample models. While the teams were busy working, Aoyama had plenty of free time on his hands. He came up with a concept image that was made up of 3D polygons, but had paper-thin 2D characters and background elements, giving it the atmosphere of a picture book. During that same Iwata Asks interview, Aoyama said, While the design remained undecided, I naturally spent a lot of time waiting. Then during that free time, casually from my own interest and totally apart from the course the team was taking, I made a rough image. I hoped it would somehow serve as a kickoff point and submitted it. Then they called me to a planning meeting and said, Bring back that picture. Aoyama figured that because there was a trend of realistic 3D graphics and home consoles during the mid to late 90s, it would be interesting to use 3D to emphasize a 2D appearance. And so Intelligent Systems and Nintendo ended up basing the entire game and series on something a new designer made for fun. Paper Mario was slated for release on the Nintendo 64 disk drive, but the disk drive ended up being a huge commercial failure. There were only a handful of games released for it, and any games planned for the disk drive were reworked as cartridge titles or cancelled entirely. Paper Mario ultimately saw a successful release as a regular N64 game, and was a top seller in Japan, moving more than 276,000 copies in its first week. It was also the last Mario game published for the Nintendo 64 in Australia, while in the rest of the world the last Mario game published for the N64 was Mario Party 3. Shigeru Miyamoto was a consultant on Paper Mario, and at the time stated that it was being developed with amateur gamers in mind. Miyamoto said, I think Super Mario RPG 2 will be the game that's friendly for game beginners and amateur players to start out with. As you can see in Yoshi's story, the idea of the three-dimensional picture book will appear in Mario RPG. Some outlets such as RPG Fan questioned the naming of the game, stating that it didn't really take advantage of the paper aesthetic enough to justify calling it Paper Mario. There are several interesting regional differences between the Japanese and English releases of Paper Mario. In the Japanese game, the party character Watt is consistently implied to be a girl. In the English release, however, Watt is referred to as both a she and a he. This seems to be a mistake by the English localization staff. Watt uses baby talk in the Japanese game and usually refers to themselves by name instead of using pronouns. Watt also avoids using male or female speech indicators in their dialogue. This ambiguity likely led to the inconsistent gender labels in the English game. It's also possible that Watt's blue pacifier, a color normally associated with male babies in the West, influenced the localization team's perception of Watt. This error was repeated in the English version of Super Paper Mario, where Watt's catch card says, This guy was pretty bright for his age. Twink's name is also different in the Japanese game. They're called Tinku in Japan, which is likely a reference to the Peter Pan character Tinker Bell, who is often referred to by the nickname Tink. What makes this reference more plausible is that Mario's creator, Shigeru Miyamoto, is also a known fan of Disney's Peter Pan. The responses to Chuck Quizmo's questions also vary slightly between regions. The 60th question in the quiz asks, what best describes the relationship between Mario and Luigi? With the possible answers being brothers, friends, or neighbors. However, in the Japanese game, the possible responses are brothers, friends, or lovers. The lovers option was changed in the English release for obvious reasons. The Japanese name for Forever Forest is Mayoi no Mori, which translates as Lost Forest. In Japan, the same name is used for the Forest of Illusion from Super Mario World, as well as the Lost Woods from the Legend of Zelda series, making the area a possible reference to both. 
The Japanese game also loosely references real areas. The Dry Dry Ruins area is called the Arabian Ruins, which is an allusion to the Arabian Peninsula. Speaking of Dry Dry Ruins, the name of Maustafa's alter ego Sheik seems to be a nod to Zelda's alter ego Sheik from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Both characters are royals who hide their true identities, and when Gumbario uses Tattle on Maustafa after his reveal, he says, da 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 dum which is the effect that plays when obtaining a treasure in the Zelda series. This is not the character's only reference. Maustafa's original Japanese name is Lawrence, which may be a nod to the 1962 film Lawrence of Arabia. That was set in the Arabian Peninsula during World War I and was based on real-life stories surrounding British military officer T.E. Lawrence. This game is just full of easter eggs and references. Luigi keeps a diary in a secret basement under Mario's house. Naturally, the player can go down there and read it. In one entry, Luigi mentions that he is afraid of ghosts and wants to be the main lead in his own game. This heavily foreshadows the first Luigi's Mansion for the GameCube, which was being developed at the same time as Paper Mario. His diary also references Mario Golf, Mario Tennis, and Mario Party, saying, I remember the carefree days when we played golf and tennis and had parties. This is not the only secret inside a house. If Mario goes to Koopa Village and stands on a table while talking with Mort T, he reminds Mario that it's rude to climb on tables. Several Paper Mario characters have references within their names. Chuck Quizmo's assistant, Vanna T's name, is not just a pun on the word vanity, but is also a reference to Vanna White from the game show Wheel of Fortune. Kino Pico is Vanna T's Japanese name, which is Toad's name with the female suffix ko attached. Adding ko to a name is similar to adding et to the end of a name in English. This ko suffix was also used for Toadette in Japan, resulting in the two characters sharing a name. Because of this, there is an error in the German version of Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, where Toadette is incorrectly given Vanity's name, T. Tanya. At the Toadtown docks, a character named Fishmail can be found. His name likely references Ishmael, a sailor and the narrator of the book Moby Dick. The name of the famous novelist in Shiver City, Herringway, is a pun on herring fishes and Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway is known for his novels, which includes works such as For Whom the Bell Tolls. Interestingly, Chapter 4 in Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door is similarly named For Pigs the Bell Tolls. The area Gusty Gulch may also be based on the real Spanish region La Mancha. La Mancha is an elevated and somewhat arid plain that's scattered with windmills. Gusty Gulch is also an elevated semi-arid area that prominently features a windmill. Adding to this, Gusty Gulch's background music seems to use traditional Spanish instruments, such as castanets and a dulcina. Paper Mario has some interesting unused features as well. There was once an Anger's Power Badge in earlier builds of the game. The badge would cause Mario to turn a dark reddish color and pose angrily. It would also make Mario uncontrollable by the player, and he would blindly attack in battles, though Mario's partner could still be controlled. Mario's attack power would increase, but the AI neglects common sense. For example, jumping on top of spiky enemies. The unused badge in Mario's animations can still be found by hacking the game. Paper Mario also has several unused enemies. Although albino dinos appear in the Crystal Palace, they are never fought. But you can fight them by hacking the game, since they do have battle properties. Their AI is minimal, as the dinos will simply ram into Mario for their attack. Wacka also has battle data attached to him, implying that he was going to be fought. Perhaps this would have taken place after the player hits Wacka eight times, which is where he snaps and decides to leave. 
The game also contains an unused variant of the Dark Koopa enemy that can fly. They can also be fought with the use of cheat codes, which reveals they are essentially stronger versions of the regular paratroopas. Other unused enemies include a Red Goomba and a Flying Red Goomba, not to be confused with the Red Goomba mini-boss fought in Prologue. There's also an Aqua Fuzzy, which looks like the normal fuzzies, just with a blue color palette. Maybe this was the original rendition of the Jungle Fuzzy, which ended up being yellow in the official release of the game. Did you know that according to the Super Mario World instruction manual, the sunken ghost ship just outside the Valley of Bowser is actually a crashed airship used by the Koopalings in Super Mario Bros. 3? The only clue to this connection in the game is a ball with a question mark in it that Mario collects at the end of the level. This is one of the same balls that's acquired when Mario defeats a Boom Boom in Super Mario Bros. 3. The Boom Booms were encountered multiple times through the game, and some of them were in airships. The fact that that ship is full of ghosts could also be implying all the common enemies on board had died during the event that sunk the ship. In Super Mario Galaxy 2, if you switch to first-person view in the Shiverburn Galaxy during the missions Prince Picante's Peppery Mood and Octo Army Icy Rainbow Romp, then look up at the cliffs in the scenery, three shadowy figures can be seen staring down at you. As you progress through the level, if you stop and look up to the left at any point, they'll be there, as if they're following you. You can't go closer to inspect them. You can't even reach them by hacking the game, as they appear to be a texture that's always rendered at a fixed distance from Mario. You never meet these figures in the game, and nobody in the game ever refers to them or even mentions their existence. A member over at GoNintendo.com with the alias Gurr Tacos got curious about the figures and started to search through Super Mario Galaxy 2's game data. They discovered that the shadowy figures themselves are labeled Hell Valley Sky Tree and are associated with the sky model for that area called Beyond Hell Valley. Hell Valley isn't the name of that level or any level in Mario Galaxy 2. It was supposedly the name of a beta level that didn't make it to the final cut, but it doesn't particularly sound like a name you'd see in a Mario game, and that doesn't explain why or how the texture found its way into Shiverburn Galaxy, a lack of any kind of explanation from Nintendo has led to all kinds of creepypasta posts and rampant speculation among fans. It seems they'll remain a mystery until Nintendo reveals what they are. The official story for the original Super Mario Bros. game contains a dark secret. According to the game's instruction booklet, one day the Mushroom Kingdom was invaded by the Koopas, a tribe of turtles who used their black magic to transform the Mushroom people into stones, bricks, and even plants. The only person who can undo the Koopa spell is Princess Toadstool, who's being held captive by Bowser. Completing the game and freeing Princess Toadstool ensures the curse is lifted and all the residents that survived are transformed back. It sounds fairly tame, but think about what you actually do as Mario in the game. Shatter hundreds of brick blocks. You unwittingly massacred hundreds of innocent toads. There was once a direct sequel to Super Mario World in development called Super Mario's Wacky Worlds. The game was being developed by Nova Logic under the contract between Philips and Nintendo that allowed Philips to develop some games using Nintendo characters. It was suggested to Nova Logic by a Nintendo employee that they port simpler Super Nintendo games to the CDI rather than attempting to make complex games like The Legend of Zelda. This comment sparked the idea of having Super Mario World as a CDI disc-based game and ultimately led to the development of an entirely new game. Two designers were worked 24 hours a day for two weeks straight, finishing only a part of a single level to present to Nintendo. Nintendo was actually very impressed with Novologic's efforts, but because of the poor sales of the CDI later in its life, they decided to cancel the game. Novologic were obviously disappointed as they hoped the game would improve their reputation and clear their name after making several subpar games with Nintendo franchises. The game's final prototype was finished on March 3rd, 1993, after about a year of development. Approximately 80% of the game's art, 95% of its design, and 30% of its code 
development was completed. Only three copies of these prototypes are in circulation, and as a result, the game's ROM was leaked online. The missing portion of code is clear to see, as Mario can only walk left, right, and jump. No power-ups exist in the game, and he can't slide or swim. Enemies disappear when Mario is above them, as if there's an incomplete stomping mechanic. Enemies also can't hurt Mario, and simply freeze when they're touched. Levels are completed by passing through a giant M, and there were around three levels in each world. The worlds were based around ancient cultures, haunted structures, a jungle, the Arctic, a chemistry lab with no graphics, as well as wacky and tubular worlds. Tubular being an homage to the special world in Super Mario World. Did you know? The Mario Party games have a fair amount of unused and altered content. When Wario and Luigi encounter a miss, such as failing a game or having to pay up to Bowser, they say, So I missed! And, oh. In the Japanese version, however, both Wario and Luigi would say, Oh my god! Oh my god! This was changed due to Nintendo of America's stance on real-world religious references in games. There are also a few mini-games that were cut from Mario Party's final release that can still be found in the game's data. The games are all or nothing, where the player would simply choose between three random blocks with either Bowser's or Mario's mark inside. Same game, where the player would ground pound groups of colored blocks to remove them and find the treasure underneath, and Yoshi's Tongue Meeting, a somewhat unfinished mini-game where you have to deliver a baby wiggler to its mother using Yoshi's tongue. There's also Tour de Mario, an inaccessible cycling minigame that takes you to Bumper Ball Maze 1 as Wario when you try to access it, and finally a minigame called Bungie Jump, which can't be accessed at all. Some of the minigames that did make it into Mario Party required the player to rotate the controller's analog stick rapidly with the palm of their hand. In some cases, this led to severe blistering, burns, laceration, punctures, and cuts. The damage resulted in a lawsuit which led to Nintendo potentially giving out $80 million worth of padded gaming gloves. Players would have to call Nintendo and request the gloves, and because most players weren't aware of the lawsuit, the actual cost to Nintendo was much less than $80 million. Paper Mario also has several Easter eggs. If you wait until after the jingle that plays on the chapter title cards for around 10 seconds, a complete version of the Super Mario Brothers theme song will start playing. In the Boo Mansion, if you go through the door across the hall from the mansion's entrance and jump into the jar inside, Mario will emerge as his original 8-bit sprite. This was a repeat of an Easter egg in Super Mario RPG, and a similar Easter egg appeared in Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. There are also a few notable Easter eggs in Luigi's Mansion. If you confront King Boo, before the end of the game, he will say, I will not give up my favorite decoration. I like Mario just where he is. This is a reference to Star Wars Episode VI, Return of the Jedi, when Han Solo is trapped in Carbonite and Jabba the Hutt says, I will not give up my favorite decoration. I like Captain Solo where he is. Both Mario and Solo being sealed away seems to reinforce this connection. Before going into the game's training room, a menu will appear showing you different controller options. If you wait for a couple of seconds, the music track will change to a funkier beat and nice 19 notes will play during a portion of the song. These 19 notes are actually Totaka song, a song that is hidden in almost every game composer Kazumi Totaka has worked on. Another version of Totaka song is in the game's data but goes unused. The song sounds like it's being played on a piano and could have been used in Melody Pianissima's musical quiz at some point in development. According to Luigi's Mansion's director, Hideki Kono, Luigi's Mansion was originally going to be released on the Nintendo 64. Kono said that ideas for the game had already been put to paper with the N64 in mind. Evidence for this N64 star 
starting point also exists in the games. A texture of Daisy from Mario Tennis 64 can be found in the game's data along with the sound clip from Super Mario 64 that was used for when Mario enters a painting. Additionally, in the Luigi's Mansion beta, there was a timer on the Game Boy Horror. It's speculated that the timer was used as a countdown and that Luigi had a fixed amount of time to save Mario until he was lost forever. It's also speculated that this timer could have simply been used to display a time limit for the game's E3 demo. There are also some unused renders of Luigi and it's thought these renders were intended for use in the game's ending. One render is of a depressed Luigi holding a flower. Another is of a somewhat pleased Luigi showing a peace sign. And the last render is of a pleased Luigi showing two peace signs. It's thought these renders were displayed based on how well you did in the game, with the Luigi showing two peace signs representing the best ending, the Luigi showing a single peace sign representing a good ending, and the depressed Luigi representing the worst ending. If the timer was counting down to a situation where Mario was lost forever, this depressed Luigi render would best represent that outcome. What's possibly more interesting is an unused model for Mario within the game's data. The model is clearly different to the model used to represent Mario when he's trapped in King Boo's painting. The model was also stretched to match Luigi's proportions and is grouped with the Poltergeist 3000. The geometry on the model is simpler than Mario's in-game model with fewer polygons, suggesting it was from an earlier point in development. Although it's impossible to say for sure what the model was used for, it could be a leftover from some sort of multiplayer component that required both Mario and Luigi. The model is stretched out, presumably so it could be rigged to Luigi's skeleton to reuse Luigi's animations during testing. The model also shares Luigi's gloves. This could be so that the model fit the existing animations where Luigi was handling the Poltergust 3000. One last major leftover component is the game's stereoscopic 3D mode. The game was planned to be playable in 3D, and the GameCube is actually capable of rendering stereoscopic 3D. Nintendo planned to release a 3D TV peripheral that connected to the GameCube. The idea was scrapped, as Nintendo releasing the device would have cost much more at retail than the actual game and console. This could also be why Nintendo chose to make Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon for the Nintendo 3DS instead of the Wii U. Did you know? Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto had an interest in letting players create full Mario levels since at least 2009. In a new Super Mario Bros. Wii interview with IGN, Miyamoto was told about fans using Little Big Planet to recreate Mario levels. Miyamoto said, This is something that I have interest in exploring, and Mario levels are well suited for it. The Mario vs. Donkey Kong series, made by NST, is one I'm involved in, and that's a game where we've explored level creation. And on the DSi, we have Flipnote Studio, where it lets users explore their creativity. I've always had an interest in those creation tools. The creation tools in Super Mario Maker are comparable to what Nintendo uses themselves. In fact, Mario Maker started started out as a tool specifically for Nintendo to make Mario levels with. The team developing the tool had so much fun with it they pitched it to Nintendo's higher-ups as a standalone game. Nintendo had wanted to make a new iteration of Mario Paint for the Wii U, as the gamepad was well suited for it. After seeing the level creation tool in action, producer Takashi Tezuka decided to bring the two projects together. He believed the level creation tools had a broader appeal than a drawing tool, as anyone can place assets together on a gamepad to make levels. Nintendo didn't always have access to such powerful level creation software, however. Up until Super Mario Bros. 3, all the company's levels were entirely designed on graph paper. And even during the development of Super Mario World, graph paper was still used alongside PC course-making tools. According to Miyamoto, the Super Mario Maker tools are probably 10 times, even 100 times more powerful than the original tools that were used for Mario World. Nintendo were originally going to recreate the older game styles faithfully, with indistinguishable physics and limitations. They were even going to have the Super Mario Bros. style scroll exclusively to the right, like it did in the NES. In the final game, however, 
however, all styles used the platforming physics of New Super Mario Bros. U. Tezuka explained the reason for the change, stating, There was a lot of discussion about this within the team. Staff who had a strong attachment to the original games expressed a strong desire to see implemented the same system they remembered. However, when players who are used to the modern Mario physics tried playing with old physics, they found it much more difficult than they remembered. One popular trend to emerge in the Mario Maker community is a style of level called Auto Mario. Nintendo actually made at least one Auto Mario level of their own, but never published it. Suzuka recalls, It wasn't very fun from a gameplay standpoint, but as you went through the level, you saw lots of funny things. Designs using blocks, like faces, and things like that. Another interesting element that emerged during development was the Weird Mario power-up. It actually came about due to a glitch, where Mario would touch a regular Super Mushroom, but become tall and skinny. This skinny Mario didn't originally have its own unique sprite or movement, and was just a stretched version of the small Mario sprite. The developers thought it was strange and funny, and decided to work it into the game as an actual feature. After beating the 10 and 100 Mario challenges, the costume that Mario is wearing can affect Toad and the princess's dialogue. For instance, Toad will panic if you are wearing the Bowser costume while Peach will be surprised Bowser saved her himself. And if you're wearing the Toad costume, Toad will call you Captain in reference to Captain Toad. This wasn't the first Mario game to do this, however. In Super Mario Bros. 3, the king will give a different message if Mario beats an airship wearing the frog suit, tanuki suit, or hammer suit. They'll mistakenly believe that Mario has transformed into a frog if he is wearing the frog suit. They'll believe Mario is an actual raccoon if he is wearing the tanuki suit, and if Mario is wearing the hammer suit, they'll ask to borrow Mario's clothes. The digital instruction manual in Super Mario Maker includes many videos which can only be accessed by entering a four-digit code. These codes are found in the idea booklet included with the physical copies of the game. While most codes are laid out clearly on each page, some are harder to find. The first hidden code can be found on page two of the idea booklet. When the piece number of the page's sheet music is entered in the digital instruction manual, players are shown a video of musician Koji Kondo performing a melody of Super Mario Bros. on an electric keyboard. The code for this video is 0913, and it's it's fairly similar to another code which can be found on page 96, 1309. This code presents the player with a video of Miyamoto and Tezuka signing their autographs on large cards. These codes are two variations of the same date, 0913 and 1309, or September 13th. This is a reference to the original Super Mario Bros which was released in Japan on September 13th, 1985. More hidden codes in the manual lead to some behind-the-scenes secrets. One interesting fact is that some of the dog and cat paws in the touch overlay actually belong to the developer's pets. The team noted that this made the image capturing process a lot easier than expected. Another secret is that the game's sound effect feature was actually based on the music-making tools from Mario Paint. The game originally had references to unused character costumes in its data as well, though they were patched out later. The text referred to Baby Mario, Balloon Fighter, Professor E. Gad, a golden retriever from Nintendogs, Mario from the Western version of Mario 2, Mashiko, who is Mary O in the English game, Mr. Satin, the Muncher enemies, Nabbit, Collectible Badge Center's Pink Rabbit, Popo, Tetris, and a Windows logo. If that wasn't bizarre enough, hobbyist hacker NW Player123 discovered a batch of images in the game that appeared to be clothing and weapons from an earlier build of Splatoon. Did you know? 
Mario and Sonic's rivalry has a long history to it. Sonic the Hedgehog was created squarely to compete with Mario, and in a broader sense, so the Genesis could compete with Nintendo's platforms. Former marketing director at Nintendo UK and former CEO of Sega West, Mike Hayes, summed up the two companies' relationship. Nintendo was a bit like the Beatles, whereas Sega was the Rolling Stones. Competition between the two companies was fierce. Both aired commercials to discredit the other, Sega's infamous Genesis does what Nintendo don't slogan being an example of these marketing campaigns. Despite their rivalry, talk of a crossover between each company's main series circulated for years. Internal discussion allegedly took place at Sega, even while they were still developing hardware. When Sega withdrew from the console race due to the Dreamcast's financial failure, their relationship with Nintendo grew friendlier. Many Sonic titles were released or re-released on Nintendo consoles, such as the Sonic Advance series and Sonic Adventure 2. The former rivals even partnered on projects, such as F-Zero GX. In light of their improved relationship, and because Sega now operated as a publisher rather than a competing console manufacturer, they approached Nintendo about collaborating on a new game. During the GameCube era, Sonic co-creator Yuji Naka pitched a Mario and Sonic crossover action game to Nintendo. This was presented to Nintendo's higher-ups, including Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto. The plan was rejected by Nintendo as they felt it wasn't necessary for Mario and Sonic to meet inside an action game. The Mario and Sonic series began development when Sega obtained the license to games based on the 2008 Olympics. The International Olympic Committee wanted to broaden the event's appeal to children. Sega therefore proposed that Sonic should star in the game. Since they also wanted to emphasize the Olympic spirit of cooperation and sportsmanship, producer Osamu Ohashi suggested they approach Nintendo again about including Mario in the game. This time, Nintendo accepted the proposal. Because the Olympics are about bringing people from all over the world together, the two companies reasoned the event formed a perfect neutral ground for their characters to meet. Sega's sports division developed the title under Miyamoto's close supervision, and the team was thrilled to be working with the big man of games. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games was announced on March 28, 2007, and was met with surprise and skepticism from fans and outlets alike. The game's release came far in advance of the Olympics themselves, launching in November 2007, while the Olympics didn't start until August 2008. There was already huge media buzz surrounding China's efforts to prepare for the Olympics, so they decided the game should capitalize on the holiday season by releasing ahead of time. A version of the game was released concurrently on mobile phones. Titled Sonic at the Olympic Games, it had no reference to Mario whatsoever. Nintendo presumably didn't want Mario appearing on a non-Nintendo console at the time. This trend continued with the game's sequel, which was pulled from iTunes shortly after release due to its poor technical performance. Sega of America's president at the time, Simon Jeffrey, mentioned that Mario and Sonic was the first title in a renovation of the Sonic brand. In an effort to make the character more contemporary, Sonic started more light-hearted games around 2007-2008. This contrasted with the trend of Sega creating more serious, story-driven games, starting with Sonic Adventure. Data exists for multiple unused playable characters in Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. These characters include Silver the Hedgehog, Cream the Rabbit, Jet the Hawk, the Egg Flapper enemy from Sonic Heroes, Birdo, a fully animated Donkey Kong, and a Goomba. While many of these characters would appear in sequels, Cream cameoed as the referee in the final game. During development of the London 2012 version of Mario and Sonic, one of the team's artists was eager to take reference photographs of an event field. While approaching the field, he failed to notice an electric fence and ended up electrocuting himself. Fortunately, he was mostly unharmed. Sega also considered releasing a peripheral alongside the game. 
No details were given about the peripheral itself, suggesting it never advanced beyond early concepts and prototypes. Mario and Sonic at the London 2012 Olympic Games embraced its new location by incorporating European favorites such as soccer and equestrian sports. Additionally, there's a file in the game's data track called William CPK. The file is speculated to be named in honor of Prince William of the British royal family. Mario and Sonic at the Rio Olympic Games was the last in the series to feature Chikawa Otsuka. Otsuka was the Japanese voice of Dr. Eggman starting with Sonic Adventure in 1998, all the way up to his death in January 2015. Because the late actor couldn't reprise his role, the game used recycled voice clips from previous games. While composing the soundtrack, sound directors Teruhiko Nakagawa and Kenichi Tokoi decided to use Rio-inspired Sama rhythms. The sound team dutifully studied Brazilian music to get a feel for it. However, when a percussionist from Brazil listened to samples of their music, he was apparently dissatisfied with some of their work, commenting that it sounded more Cuban than Brazilian. In response, Tokoi had the team record the soundtrack in Brazil itself, using native musicians to capture a more authentic sound. Sega's sound team arrived a couple of weeks before the world-famous Rio Carnival, and had to work within strict time limits to record the tracks before the carnival. Mario's name is featured before Sonic's in the series title, despite it being developed by Sega. However, this is likely just a sign of respect from Sega. Former Nintendo of America executive Perrin Kaplan had another theory, and joked that Mario was featured prominently because of his sex appeal. Kaplan told Newsweek, Here's the bottom line. He's Italian, he's really sexy, and he can get more women than Sonic. Unlike Sonic, Mario's involvement with the Olympic Games goes beyond the Mario and Sonic series. He made a prominent appearance at the end of the 2016 Rio closing ceremony. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe appeared from a warp pipe, dressed in Mario's distinctive cap and overalls to accept the Olympic flag. Fans have questioned if the two characters will ever headline a non-Olympic-themed game. Former Sega of Europe president Mike Hayes was dubious about the idea. Hayes told CVG, If it was a Sonic world and we had Mario trying to run around collecting rings, it wouldn't be right. Producer Osamu Ohashi felt similarly, asserting a new world that accommodated both characters would need to be made for a collaboration to work. He also said Nintendo and Sega never managed to agree on what such a world would look like, suggesting there were multiple attempts at merging the two styles. However, the idea shouldn't be dismissed altogether. Soon after Hayes made a statement, Sonic unexpectedly joined the fight alongside Mario in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.